We are here and ready to go. I tell you, this is the last day of 2023, and uh, there's been a lot of things going on that just reminds me of how important prayer is and appreciate the time you all take in prayer. Um, I've had a daughter-in-law that hadn't walked since April 9th when she broke her two fibula bones right by her ankle. Then she went in to have it worked on, and then she had AFib, and she had a vein that quit working, and they had to do something with it. And then she was passed out with lung trouble for about 10 days. And uh, finally, she got uh, a little better, but then she got a wound in her boot that they put on her ankle. And that took a lot longer, but uh, just the other day, uh, my son sent me a video with her walking for the first time since April 9th, and she had to use a walker, but she is walking, so praise God. And then I had a daughter that got in a motorcycle wreck in August, and she was flattened on her back for five days, and she couldn't uh, get up without putting on a body brace for the next two months. And uh, she's up and doing pretty good, still having pain, but she just uses Tylenol. And she was without a job, and she starts a new job on the 8th of this month. So God is good in answering prayer. And uh, my latest praise to God is my nephew by marriage, who's in his 50s. All of a sudden, we got a call that he was in the hospital with double pneumonia, a strange type of pneumonia, they said. A rare type, I guess was the word they used. And so we all prayed for him Friday night, and I shared it with my church on the prayer list. And uh, by Saturday morning, he was doing much better. And now he's just on oxygen, and apparently he's going to be in the ICU for a few days and then get to come home. So God is good, and God is great, and regardless of what we go through, uh, we know that God will be with us and walk through the valley with us. Now today we're looking at Matthew chapter 20 verses 17 through 28 and the title is, Are We Serious Followers of Christ? Seems like a lot of people talk about Christ and they want to share the verses and, and the exciting things, but are we really serious about following Him through whatever may come in 2024? Now we all hope it's a good year, but we don't know that for sure. We, we just don't know what God uh, has planned for us or planned for our country or, or the world as we see everything going on. But we do know that Jesus has promised that he'll be with us the whole time that we'll never be left to walk through the valley alone. Let's have a word of prayer and then as I go through my message I'll uh, read some of the verses here that we have. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for Jesus most of all. And as we think about the past year, we know that you've been with us. There's been times maybe when we've been down and discouraged, but you always pick us up and you always show us the light. And we know, Heavenly Father, there is only one true light, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. So just help us this morning to worship him, to be more committed to him, and to truly be serious about following him. I pray in his name. Amen. I do have a jug of water. Not a jug, but a little bottle. Uh, went to Silver Dollar City last night to see the lights. It was the last day, and my seven-year-old grandson, he was really excited about the lights. Of course, he's a little, uh, what do they call it, HD, whatever it is. 
So he gets real excited, and then he gets real unexcited, and then quite a shift in, in personality sometimes. But I love him to death, and he's as smart as can be. Anyway, I may not have the energy I usually have because I'm not used to walking up and down hills and staying out late. I mean, I didn't get back home till 8 o'clock. <laughs> I thought somebody might laugh about that. <laughs> well, it was PM. <laughs> anyway, Jesus gives invitations. We see all through the New Testament where he gives invitations. People, come follow me. And many do come and follow him, but there were many that didn't. And some followed him for a while, and then when they didn't get everything they thought they ought to get off of Jesus, they stopped following him. And you can look at John chapter 6, and you can see Jesus had a great crowd following him. But then he began to tell them, you know, that it isn't all roses. There are some thorns. And he began to let them know that I'm not just here to feed you physically, you know, to feed the thousands of people. But there is more to your following me than just being excited about what's going on at the time. And so uh, there were many who decided not to follow Jesus. If you look at John 6, 6, 6, recognize that number? <laughs> it says there were many who stopped following Jesus at this time. And so Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, well, are you too going to leave? And Peter, you know, how he'd always jump up and he'd say, the first thing that comes to his mind, this was a good thing. He said, well, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of life. And that's the one thing we can remember as we think about following Jesus. He has the words of life, not just life on this earth, but life eternal. There's a lot of people on this earth that will try to tell you how you should live and what you should think. And, you know, they have all kinds of ideas about what's best. But only Jesus has the words of life. And that's one of the reasons we should be so serious about following him. As we look at this passage in a moment, we'll see that he's on his road to Jerusalem. And this is his last trip into Jerusalem. It'll be the time when he, we see Palm Sunday and we'll see him teaching in the temple. And then we'll see him arrested and crucified on the cross. But it says in the King James that Jesus... Uh, uh, Look straight, uh, set his face towards Jerusalem with the idea that this is where I'm going, this is what God has me to do, and I'm not going to turn to the right or to the left, but I'm putting my faith in God the Father and I'm setting my face to follow his will, even though he knew it meant death. And his disciples, you know, they were always, yeah, Lord, we'll die with you. You know, we'll go through it all, but of course, in the end, they didn't. But here, um, we see the disciples were a little bit different. And we'll take a little bit of that but in a minute. But the disciples are supposed to be students, followers, learners, and imitators of the one that they're following. And of course, Jesus was the one they were following. And they were to be imitators of him, but they often didn't. And so my first point is, is that we need to strive to avoid distractions. That's what Jesus did. He set his face towards Jerusalem, and there was nothing going to keep him from going there. But the disciples weren't 
quite with the, the program yet. They didn't understand the idea of the death and the resurrection because they still had in mind what they'd been taught all their life. When the Messiah comes, he's going to overthrow the Roman government and he's going to set up his kingdom. Well, Jesus is coming back and he is going to set up his kingdom. But for now, he set up his spiritual kingdom. And we're still in, in a struggle with the world and the culture around us. Let's look at verses 17 through 23 to begin with, Matthew 20. While going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took twelve disciples aside privately and said to them on the way, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified, and on the third day he will be raised. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him with her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want? he asked her. Promise, she said, that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and the other on your left. And Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they answered, we are able. And he told them, you indeed will drink my cup, but to sit to my right or to my left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those whom it has been prepared by my Father. So, while Jesus was focused on the cross, the disciples were focused on themselves. And yes, we see in this uh, gospel that the mother of, of James and John was in on it herself. But we also see the other disciples in the book of Luke argued among themselves, who's going to be the greatest, you know? Who's going to be the one that is at the right hand of Jesus when he sets up his kingdom? Who's going to have the most power of us 12 disciples? And so here they were, Jesus going to his death, and they were still thinking about what can we get out of this? And there's a lot of Christians, or they say they're Christians today, that they're just looking at what they can get out of it. And it's kind of ironic that when you're just looking for what you can get out of it, you don't really get much out of it. But on the other hand, when you're looking to what you can give to the kingdom, what you can do to follow the ways of Jesus, you get a whole lot out of it. It's strange sometimes that what seems to be uh, what people would expect, it turns out being just the opposite. You know, Jesus said, I didn't, you know, I didn't come to be your uh, master at this time. I come to be a servant. And he said, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. And it's hard to be a servant sometimes. But in the end, it brings a blessing that we wouldn't get any other way. <clears throat> now, uh, there were other people following Jesus, but Jesus worked at many times with just those 12 disciples. Uh, every one of us needs to take that personal time alone with Jesus. Every one of us needs to sit down with him in a place where we're not distracted. Maybe it's early in the morning or late at night. A time when there's no radio and no TV, no cell phones, and uh, just you and the Lord and the Bible and maybe a devotion book. Something to where you can concentrate on Jesus and the greatness and the wonderfulness of who he is. You know, it's just so easy to get distracted in this world. In fact, we live in a time of on, 
precedent distractions. There's always something around us. I've already mentioned TV, cell phones, and all that. But there's so much going on in the news and 24-hour-a-day news. We didn't have that when I was a kid. You know, I think the TV shut off at, at least by midnight, and uh, there wasn't a lot of news. You'd have a, a few programs through the day, and, and that was it. And now you can turn to several different channels and have it all the time. And there's always these things. We need to keep up with what's going on, but we need to be careful that we don't let it distract us in such a way that we get discouraged and, and just believe that all is for naught. Because it isn't. God's going to work through all these things. And we know in the end that he has taught us that there is going to be upheaval before his coming back. But the one thing we can say is, is that when we see these things, we know Jesus is coming back. And it may not be that long. You know, we uh, talk a lot of times about distracted driving and how easy it is to get distracted and I can get distracted just by looking around at the sights. My wife thinks that when I'm driving, I ought to look at the road. And uh, most of the time I do, but every once in a while you get distracted. If you have kids, that can be very distracting at times. And if you have pets that you let ride in your car, that can be distracting. However, the pets are a lot easier to train. <laughs> a AAA study found out that 70% get distracted by something inside or outside their car. Now, why am I talking about this? Because I want to compare it to getting distracted from Jesus. <clears throat> and I dare say, and I've done it myself, that even times when we're in church and we're singing, we have other things on our mind. Even when we're listening to the preaching, we have other things on our mind at times. It's just so easy to get distracted with everything that's going on in our world today. And uh, yet we need to learn to focus on the things of God and truly what God wants in our life and what we can give to the Lord. When we come to church, we're to give Him praise. We're to glorify Him. Uh, we always think of the song service as a time of praise, and it is. And Scarlett does a good job here and appreciate that. But also the preaching service is to be a time also to give God glory and to give Him praise. It isn't about the preacher. It isn't about how good he is or how smart he is. It's about Jesus and what He has done for us and how He continues to lead in our lives. It's so easy to get distracted when we're having time, a quiet time. Uh, you know, sometimes I get up and, and I try to read the Bible the first thing. And um, all of a sudden, I'll be reading, I'll just, what did I just read, you know? And I have to go back and start over, because it's so easy to have things going around in our mind, and distraction, and, and of course, Satan loves that. He loves to try to get our minds off of Jesus. He loves to do anything he can to take us away from God, to distract us, and to make us less than what we ought to be in the kingdom of God. Now, this was just days before the death of our Lord, and they were worried about the best seats in the kingdom. Otherwise, what am I going to get out of this is what they were worried about. And they were distracted because they were concerned about themselves. And if we're going to truly run the good race, we need to be less concerned about ourselves and more concerned about the will of God. Pastor Jim Wilson once said, any distraction 
that averts our attention from our mission will have catastrophe uh, <laughs> results. Yeah, bad results. And uh, you'll notice sometimes I have words that I don't pronounce too well. And this is what it says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 in the New International Version. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew there is rewards in doing God's will. And sometimes in this life, we get to where the point uh, is, I don't see a whole lot happening here, but we have to understand that God sees things from eternity, and we as the followers of Jesus need to look at things from eternity. Why do we need to continue the race? Why do we need to finish the race? Because God has great rewards for us on the other side. And even if we're not feeling those rewards, even if we're persecuted at times, we know that in the end, we do gain because we keep our focus on Jesus. So, we need to avoid distractions. And number two, we need to accept the difficulties of following Christ. Now again, back in verses 22 and 23, Jesus answered, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I'm about to drink? We are able, they said to him. And he told them, You will indeed drink the cup, my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those who whom it has been prepared for by my Father. So, Jesus is telling them here, there's going to be difficulties. But that isn't the first time Jesus told them that. We know in the Sermon on the Mount, he told them that. And uh, we find the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7. And in chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you falsely and say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. So that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Jesus is saying this is not an unusual thing for people to be persecuted for doing the right thing. You know, it's easy to go along with culture. It's easy to go downstream and, and just follow what everyone else is doing. And, you know, a lot of people call themselves Christians, but they really don't stand up for Jesus. And when there's questions come, they just kind of go along with whatever culture is going along with. And most of the time, it's opposite to what God would have them to do. We uh, look around in the world today, and I've seen people that have lost jobs because they simply believe in traditional marriage. I got kind of balled out on, on Facebook because I said something about uh, traditional marriage. And, and uh, you know, some pastors being afraid they're going to offend someone 
if they talk about traditional marriage. And, and boy, I, I guess I offended them. <laughs> you know, basically they're saying, you know, you just got to love everybody and it just doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. If it didn't matter, God wouldn't have made us as a man and a woman. And God wouldn't have told us that a man is to leave his uh, father and mother and, and join his wife. You know, so things like that do matter, but a lot of people say, just be nice. That's all there is to being a Christian. Just be nice. And never, never act like you're judging people. Well, I'm not judging people, but the Bible does. And Jesus certainly says there is a right way and a wrong way. There was a fire chief in Atlanta that was fired because he wrote a pamphlet for his church, not for the people he was supervising, but for his church supporting traditional marriage. And he got fired. And, uh, you know, that's not good. And, of course, we've heard about the bakers and, and making the wedding cakes and, and the photographers. And, you know, uh, uh, that's a big matter of conscience. And uh, maybe you don't think it's right, and that, that's okay. But the point is, their conscience did not allow them to do it. It would be as if they were participating in these uh, man-and-man and woman-and-woman -woman marriages. I've got a good friend at church that's talked to me, and, and she was real concerned because her son was getting married to a man, and her son wanted her to come. And she just felt that, you know, that wasn't right. Her conscience, she couldn't do it. And, and so I said, well, you just have to tell him that, that you don't feel it's right, that you feel like that would be supporting it, but also tell him you love him and, and you want what's best for him, but you just can't agree with this because it goes with the Bible. And so she did, and it wasn't an easy thing to do. You know, because this is something we face all the time. And, and to be able to turn people down and still show love for them is not an easy thing to do because a lot of people say, well, if you don't agree with me, then you must hate me. Well, that's not true either. We can disagree with people without hating them. And uh, it's not necessarily that we're trying to force them to believe what we believe because we know as Christians we really can't. We try to convince them. We try to encourage them because we believe what the Bible says is the way to go and is the truth. But we also know we can't force anybody. We can't be anyone's Holy Spirit. And sometimes we would like to be, but that's just not the way it works. We have to pray for people and let God's Holy Spirit work in their minds and in their hearts. Well, Jesus told the two and the mother that they would suffer the same bitter cup that he would suffer. And James was the first one to die a martyr's death. And uh, John was the last one to die. And John was the only one, as I, if I remember right, that didn't die a martyr's death, but he was put on the island of Patmos, which was a prison island, and it was there that God inspired him to write the book of Revelations. But it wasn't a nice place to be, and he did suffer there because he was a follower of Christ. And a lot of people are going to suffer. We look around at the things that have happened in Afghanistan and other countries where people are killed 
because of their Christian faith. And Nigeria is, is one place where several people have lost their lives because of their Christian faith. So we've got to stop this idea that, that following Christ means everything is going to be great. You're never going to have any problems because we are. And a lot of problems we have is just because we live in this world. And there are some problems that come because we are Christians. And that's the, the ones where we can say we're persecuted because we're Christians. We're not persecuted because we get cancer. A lot of people get cancer. We're not persecuted because of illness. We're not persecuted because we get in a car wreck. But the persecution being talked about by Jesus is when you specifically stand up for Jesus and people persecute you before it. That's the kind of suffering that Jesus was telling his disciples that they would go through. There's a <clears throat> probably just too much prosperity gospel that gets into our minds in this country, but and not enough realistic, true biblical teaching. Uh, Luke, excuse me, chapter 19, verses 23 through 26. Then he said to them, If anyone wants to follow me, this is Jesus, let them deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever, want, whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses, uh, excuse me, gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. So, yes, we do lose our life to Jesus. We do, um, when we make him Lord of our life, allow him to be Lord of our life, that means he gets to tell us where to go and what to do. And we should do our best to follow him. And so bearing the cross doesn't just indicate the life that's tough in this world, but it indicates following Jesus, and that's what made life tough. <clears throat> Excuse me again. Um, so cross-bearing is when we have to bear a cross because of following Jesus, not just because things are tough in this world. Now, if you say you're a Christian, but you follow the wicked ways of culture, the world will approve of you, but will you have any assurance of heaven? You know, one thing that happens when we're persecuted for following Jesus is we identify our lives with the life of Jesus because he himself suffered and was persecuted because he was a righteous man. So we need to avoid distractions. We need to accept persecution. And a third thing is to avoid pointless disputes. Uh, we just read in, in 22 and 23 how Jesus said, Well, God the Father's already decided this, so why are you arguing about it? In verse 24 it goes on and says, When the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. So here we're having a pointless argument over something that God has already decided. And uh, there's never pointless arguments in churches, are there? <clears throat> well, let me see. Maybe there is. Have you ever heard of the Anti-Peg Church? This is a good one. 
Doyle Young tells the story of the founding of the Antipeg Baptist Church. In the late 1800s, there was just two deacons in a small Baptist church in Mayfield County, Kentucky. One Sunday, one of the deacons put up a small wooden peg on the back wall so the preacher could hang his hat. Well, when the other deacon discovered the peg, he was outraged that he had not been consulted. Before long, the church took sides and they eventually split. And the new church was called the Anti-Peg Baptist Church. (laughs) Now, are you going to use paper towels or a blower in your bathroom to dry your hands? What color are you going to paint your walls? You know, there's just so many things we can argue about that just aren't that important. So, um, and I've heard of a story, I forget which pastor told me, where there was a big argument over which side to put the piano on. You know, it should be on this side. No, it's always been on that side. You know, these kind of things. But um, let's hope we get past them. Um, So if we're serious, we'll avoid uh, distractions. Uh, We'll accept difficulties and avoid pointless disputes. And the fourth thing, live with Christ-like devotion, 25 through 28. Jesus called them over and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and those in high position act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom. So we must have Christ-like devotion towards, uh, particularly towards those of the faith, other Christians, but also towards other people. Uh, We don't have to be first. We don't have to be the one that tells everyone else what to do. Uh, We know that we're far from perfect, but we know that in Christ, the most important thing we can do is to be a servant. You know, to follow him and and be a servant as he was. Too often, we let ourselves get in the ditch, and instead of turning to the Lord and asking for repentance to get out of that ditch, we just spin our wheels a little bit harder. We step on the gas a little bit more, and it just digs us in deeper and deeper, whether it be uh, in the snow or in the mud. I've been stuck in both of them. And I tell you, it doesn't do any good just to... Put the foot down in the gas because you just spin and spin and spin. And there's times in our life when we have to realize that we're not number one, that we are to be servants. We are to be like Jesus. We are to put our life down for other people. Now, not necessarily physically, but emotionally. And and sometimes we're inconvenienced because God calls us to help other people. And it's not always easy. Um, it's easy to let distraction and difficulties and petty arguments keep us away from Jesus. And it's also easy to have that inner ego that says, I want to be number one. And that can take us away from Jesus and take us away from the, the service that he has for us to do for him by helping others. Now, I think about Job a lot of times because Job is the one who said, though he slay me, I will still trust in him. 
And though we think that things are not going like we'd like and we're not being blessed like we like, we have to remember that in the end we are going to have victory in Christ. And so even if it seems as though we're being slayed upon this earth as, as if we are not going to have that victory, as if there is no hope, we still trust in God. Job had everything taken away and he said, well, what else is there? He's kind of like those that said, uh, Peter, you know, when he said, you have the words of life. What else is there? Though he may slay us or we think he may be slaying us, we'll still trust in him. Jesus, um, excuse me, skip the verse there. So let's not forget, you know, we start with the first commandment. Uh, put God first, love God above all things, have no idols then. And, and these kind of things, if we just keep God first, and we do that through Jesus Christ, because uh, he is the way that God has given us in this church age to follow him through the blood of Jesus, through the spirit of the Holy Spirit that's given to us, and through the teaching of his word, we can continue to follow Jesus. And regardless of what may come upon us, we can know that he is with us. We can know that we have a place in heaven and we can know that we have eternal life. And that's more important than all these other things. You know, there's never been a man that has been uh, first all his life. There's never been a football team that always wins the championship. And you can think of this on and on and on. But in Christ, we have victory. We have eternal life. And we have a life ahead of us that really is beyond what we truly understand at this time, but it's going to be great. So as we look at uh, 2024, may we never forget to follow Jesus. May we keep him first in our lives. And uh, as one person has said, and we've all heard, I don't know where the original quote comes from, but it is, if Jesus is not Lord of all our life, then he's not Lord at all. So let's make 2024 a time when we look towards God to make Jesus Lord of our life, not just part of the time, not just when things are going good, you know, not just when times when people are patting us on the back, you know, because uh, usually after the pat on the back, something else will come from the other side. But look to Jesus for all our lives. Put him first and keep him first. And Scarlett, I hope 2024 will be a great year, better than last year. But if it's not, we know Jesus is going to be with us anyway. And that's the most important thing we can have. Something that cannot be taken away from us is to have our relationship with Jesus. Let's stand for the invitation.